Hey guys, welcome to this week's Yawa. And as you can probably see, we're changing things up a little bit. This is really weird. I have to drink left-handed. I know, it's kind of a nice being able to just take a sip so easily and not have to like try and get it around the microphone. Why didn't we do this earlier? <laughs> so if this is your first time to our channel, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications, give us a thumbs up, and we're going to start answering your questions right away. Speaking of questions, where are we getting these questions from? We're getting them from our Yawa videos in the comments below. People are typing Yawa question and putting their questions there. And then we're able to go through them and pick a few to be able to answer for you every week. What do we got first? First question is from Bonnie Hundley. My question, how the heck do you all manage your intact male dogs while there's one or more females on the premises in heat? I'm betting you all are set up for it with kennels that are separated, maybe. Like, I'm dealing with it now, and I wasn't prepared. Fortunately, the female is just a small chihuahua, but her siren-like signals are flaring and driving my male lab absolutely, completely bonkers. I'm thinking of boarding him out somewhere or taking him to a trainer for a month. It's funny, he trains great even with this issue here. It's when he's not training or working that he goes utterly mad. Well, I would say, first of all, you are not alone in these uh, issues, shall we say, that you are experiencing. I would say that it's a pretty common thing that we hear or see from people that have dogs, male dogs, intact dogs, and intact females that at some point in time, female comes into heat and nature takes its role and drives the male bonkers. So don't feel alone. Now, as far as our personal dogs go, They experience it all the time. So they almost become desensitized. Now, I'm not going to say that they don't get a little bit amped up or a little bit worked up, but it's definitely not to the extent that you're talking about just because we put in a lot of things to kind of help prevent this from really being an issue, including running our intact males with females in season in the field and teaching them, hey, it's time to work, leave them alone. And now we won't go to the extent of, bringing up a female and that's in heat first of all because it's it is a bit of a mess so when we do bring them up we put the diaper things on them and puppy panties puppy panties um but at the same time then it's just asking for trouble to put intact males and intact females together out running around they're going to try and do their thing i mean it's the other side of it is most of our males are Fairly experienced stud dogs. So it isn't going to take long. Well, not going to take long, but they also really seem to learn the difference between when a female's in heat and when a female is prime time, ready to be bred. And they could honestly really care less about the females until they hit that point where, okay, now it's time to be bred, which is a pretty short window, usually maybe four to five days. Yeah. And so the rest of the time, even though the female's bleeding and in heat, the males may go sniff, sniff. Oh, yeah, you're in heat, but we don't really care. Uh, But they do definitely care and know what their business is about and know what they should be doing when our females are in heat in that prime time moment. Um, And we just make sure to keep them separate or allow them to do the breedings if that's what our plan is for that litter um, and that breeding and that um, situation. But the other side of it is, 
Male dogs can be pretty persistent and um, we've heard stories and experienced firsthand males mm-hmm. that have actually been able to dig through walls to get to a female in heat to breed her. Um, they weren't crated. They were just in separate rooms and that ended up happening. That's how I actually met one of my best friends. A dog dug a hole through a wall and bred a female and the puppy from that litter came to us for training, which the two dogs that ended up getting bred yeah. were from us and they weren't litter mates or anything. So the, I mean, it was actually a pretty decent breeding. <laughs> yes, um, but it was an unplanned it was breeding unplanned. for sure. Yes, hundred percent. So uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that you can do with our dogs. We let them out individually uh, for the most part. And then as far as them just driving each other bonkers, the, the boys are a little bit desensitized to the fact that unless they're out together, then they get pretty worked up about it, especially during that prime time. But if they're crated or gout separately, usually there's not much to worry about now. And we actually have our crates and our kennel spaces in the same area. So there isn't much separation. But if you have the ability to crate your male in the laundry room and your female in the bedroom or something like that, that's probably going to help your male not get quite so crazy, as well as he's got a lot of pent up energy. Maybe it's time to just train a little bit more during that time. Or if you have the ability to send him off for training, tune up for the season or even um, boarding or something like that, that's always an option as well. Yeah. And I would say from the kennel aspect of things, that would be where it would come in to play a little bit differently. And that's where we get males that maybe have some experience, but aren't desensitized to it. And that's when we see a few potential other situations that are a little more difficult to deal with at times. And it can be the boys always run around to try and pee on that female's kennel or, you know, it becomes this kind of marketing dominance type of game and requires a little more maintenance, yeah, a little more handle. Des- definitely their hormones are high. So watching those males and their interactions, because we usually have males going out together, females going out together, yep. definitely no intact males and in heat females going out together. Um, so watching and managing the dog's interactions uh, is really important. Yeah, we have very few, very, very few issues with dogs grumping with other dogs. But if it's going to happen, typically it's it's over a girl or something. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, but we do uh, still try and arrange our kennel situation. Again, like I said, males going out together, females going out together and not putting a male that's intact right next to a female in heat. We try and have some separation for them as well. Absolutely. So good question. Next question from Whitney Bland. Finished. So awesome that you finished our last Yawa. Yawa question. Hello, Kansas bird hunters. See what she did there? Yawa question. Makes it really easy to find your questions within the comments on YouTube, folks. Yes. So hello, Kansas bird hunters from Colorado elk hunters. I am so glad you guys have started. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Colorado elk hunters. I want to be a Colorado elk hunter. I think you'd have to live in Colorado. Otherwise, you would be a Kansas elk hunter. (laughs) Maybe. Something like that. I think you're right. I am so glad you guys have started getting your questions off of YouTube as I do not do social media. Well, more power to you on that respect. I'm saying right now. Help. Puppy humping attack. I have a (laughs) seven-month-old male Chesapeake Bay Retriever and I have learned everything Enter Smalls saying everything instead of forever from the Sandlot, if you didn't get that reference, Uh, from Clicker, (laughs) Crate, Potty Training, and so much more from your videos and Yawa questions. This is my first ever owned dog, and he is doing well, thanks to you guys. 
We are now entering into a new stage that I know nothing about marking and humping. I have watched your videos on Spain and neutering with the vet. From what I gathered, marking in the wrong place is a learned behavior that can be trained. Also, I think it was suggested to wait after a year to neuter the male dogs if there is no plans to breed. So how do you deal with the humping until the time comes? How do you train where not to mark? The wood porch post is not a tree. He has just started marking and has only aggressively humped once. Please, all information in the new area will be appreciated and fast. So thanks for being a fan. And we're really, really happy that we've been able to help you. Um, the moving right into this question specifically is there's a couple different ways that we have to look at it. One of which is if we are developing a young dog that's going to potentially be a next stud dog or part of our breeding program, you have to be pretty careful about how you handle this young dog and coming into their own with the humping aspect of things. It needs to be very, I don't want to say subtle, but like gentle. We say, okay, stop humping now. Redirect their focus a little bit more. You can't get after them. You can't do any because later when you're trying to teach them how to do their job, um, they have to be comfortable with you being there and not think that they're going to get in trouble for it. Or you end up with, um, uh, dogs that kind of only will do it if you're not watching that, that hide in the Males corner with performance issues. Yes. And I that, mean, that's extremely frustrating to say, and kind of a joke, haha, males with performance issues, but it is a problem when you're trying to facilitate breedings and make sure that the breedings happen when the female needs to be bred according to progesterones and things. So we do, if you will, have to handle puppy humping with kid gloves and make sure that we're not intimidating them or um, making them uncomfortable in a sense that that's going to affect their development later on. Well, nothing's more stressful than getting results back to say she's ready to be bred now. And then you put them together and the male goes, I can't do this, you know, and they Definitely don't. Definitely not in front of you because yeah, you're going to get after me. And the other side of it, we try and be there to make sure that nobody gets hurt because there's always the potential for anybody that doesn't know when the breeding happens, the dogs actually tie together. It's called a tie because the male gets stuck inside the female. They engorge and it gets stuck together. Yep. Butt and to they butt, call it a usually. tie. Yep. So then they will be standing there for a while and- if the female were to freak out or the male were to freak out, they could potentially seriously injure both or either of them. Usually the male is what would end up getting injured the most. But all of that being said, I mean, so you, you need to be there. And if you have a dog that lacks confidence or definitely lacks confidence in front of you, you got a problem. And it's tough. I mean, you can't make them do it. So it's it's one of those things that without... Um, AIs, artificial insemination aspect of things, but even that same dog that's, I mean, it, if it, they're uncomfortable about being handled and you're trying to do a collection, there's a very good chance that the collection yeah. will be poor quality. So all of that being said, it doesn't necessarily sound like your situation it does not apply. So being on the opposite end of the spectrum where they're not going, they're ultimately going to be neutered, which it kind of sounds like that's the direction you're moving um, from the humping aspect of things we need to end that. And it doesn't need to be a kid friendly version. You say, ah, quit. Anytime it happens, it's a correction. Knock that off, then redirect focus and say, that behavior is not okay. You're not ever going to need to do that. You don't need to learn how to do that. You don't need to be allowed to do that because at some point in time, 
you're going to try it with the wrong dog and you're going to end up in a not so good situation. Yeah. So whether they're humping another dog or your leg or pillows or toys, any of that behavior needs to be um, nipped in the bud because it's going to just escalate, especially the more that the dog's testosterone increases and uh, the more that they get away with it, it can turn from not just, you know, puppy humping to more of a dominance thing. And we definitely don't want behavioral issues to arise out of that. Absolutely. So the other side of it was the marking thing. And I will tell you right now, this is one of my biggest pet peeves of intact males. I absolutely cannot stand obsessive marking. It is, and a lot of people just go, oh, they're males. This is what they do. And we'll have dogs that get dropped off here and apologize for anybody that I'm calling out that does this, but the dog will pee on every post in front of my building. It'll pee on the truck tires. It It'll pee on, on the, the wall pees of the on building. the building. It pees everywhere, all over everything. And, and even though it's still outside, it's not interior, in the house, in the kennel marking. Male it, urine's really concentrated. It's stinky. Yeah. It's gross. I mean, that's like billy goats, right? They pee all over themselves. They have this musk. I mean, males... Adult males are just as musky and stinky and gross. It's just not enjoyable to have the whole front of your building smell like urine or the porch or, I mean. Anywhere that they're not supposed to be peeing. No. So, um, with our dogs, first of all, we don't allow obsessive, even our males, whatever. We don't allow obsessive peeing. We say, go out, go to the bathroom. You can pee. But then if you want to start peeing all over everything, we say, knock it off, move along. You don't have anything left to pee. You're just marking at this point. So with your little puppy, I would recommend the same things. Now, with those things being said, one thing that could really help you would probably be a urine destroyer. Okay. To get rid of the urine crystals that are building up in the places that you don't want him to mark. Especially if it's wood. It soaks into that. It's really hard to get rid of. And so that is going to attract him to just come back and mark that place again. So Mm -hmm. if you can clean up that mess and just hosing it down isn't going to be enough because those urine crystals, um, they actually need to be broken down so that they're no longer there. I don't truly understand the full science behind it, but they do call it urine crystals. And urine crystals... They, if it dries there, they get very, very difficult to get rid of. And a couple options are, I know Nature's Miracle has a urine destroyer, Mm -hmm. um, and we actually use a brand now called Urine Off, um, and both of those would be good options to- We just got a new one. I think it's called P-Hero, P-E-E-H-E-R-O. We just got that. Haven't Haven't tested it yet. Yes, so need to- put it to the test and see if it's really going to work in our situation. All of these products though are very similar in the sense that they're enzyme based and there's basically living enzymes that then break down the urine crystals and then they go away. So that is about the only thing that you can do aside from, Oh, replacing your porch posts. No, just yeah, replacing your porch would be the next option. Um, I don't think, I don't know if, I don't think bleach even gets rid of urine crystals or anything else. So I'm not sure about that, but, uh, definitely one of those enzyme based urine destroying products would be in your best interest. And then just moving that behavior along saying, Hey, quit that. If you know you have a problem spot, you need to be more attentive and to begin with taking them past that. Don't even let him walk out there, bring him to someplace else and say, this is where you need to go to the bathroom. He's still young enough that you really shouldn't be 
excessively marking at seven months old, but it can happen. Um, higher testosterone levels and whatever else driving that, but you should be able to curb that behavior a little bit at this young of age. And then as soon as you neuter, um, it is better that he can lift his leg to pee. It'll prevent him from kind of peeing all over himself. Dogs that squat to pee through maturity, it ends up being that they end up peeing all over their front legs and that just is also stinky. So, um, lifting his leg is important. And then once you neuter that desire to mark will kind of go away. And then also because he is only seven months old, take him out. And like we talked about before, take him past the place. That's a problem. Get him to empty his bladder and then don't give him free reign to just run around and Mm -hmm. piss all over the place and mark other things. Once his bladder is empty, he's just holding a little bit back so that he can do those little marking behaviors that he's starting to um, exhibit. So And then I think the last thing just would be from a training standpoint, if you have those problem areas that are kind of to and from where you're actually going to the bathroom, or if you see some of that stuff, you can, you can train it with positive punishment and you can say, oh, you sniffed that to check it out. Ah, quit, move along and then go someplace else to go to the bathroom. So it would be the ability to teach them. This is not okay. Especially if you get to this point where it ends up happening in the house sometime. We've seen that and inside buildings, you know, you've got to keep in mind that all of these things, these concepts aren't exactly the same to a dog as they are to us. If you walk into a building, you know, I'm inside a building, not I'm inside, you know, the dog understands where their home is and they don't like to mess in their home and they, they're potty trained. They understand those aspects of things. But if you were to take your dog into somebody else's home and it's new things and maybe they had a dog that had an accident there at some point in time and didn't clean up the urine crystals. There may be enough smell still there. Dog comes through, pees on the couch or the corner of the wall or something because it's a new environment and they're just used to peeing on whatever they want to. Um, or, you know, pees on a painting that's leaned up against the wall. That who, would, who would have done that? <laughs> so this is a one little fun story on this, and then we'll move on to the next question. I um, think that'll be the fun little last story, and that's all we've got time for. Oh, in that's part what we've got one. time for in part one. Okay. So the fun little story is uh, Peter, who's been on our show in the past, um, is a good friend of ours. We This is ooh, probably seven years ago. Yeah. Long time ago. It was not long after we'd met him. So I didn't know him all that well at this point, but we'd come down and hang out for something. I had Shooter with me and he had his short hair at the time and they were running around the house, which is not something that I'm really okay with. And I kind of felt like, "Eh," and he's like, no, 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 they're fine. They're having fun, whatever. Well, Shooter makes a loop around the house and stops and pees all over this giant, would it be an oil Uh, painting? An LSU oil painting. Yeah. An oil painting of the LSU tiger eye. And it's, it's a really cool painting. Um, and he peed all over it. So I, I felt horrible. And uh, to this, I think Peter actually brought it up last time I saw him. So it, he still hasn't let it, hasn't fully let it go. But yeah, so I haven't either. We learned our lesson about just letting a dog run around and get all pumped up and excited and mm-hmm. new environment. And uh, oops, accidents oops. happen. Well, that's all we have time for in part one. Give us a little bit and we'll be back for part two. And welcome back to this week's Yawa part two. 
Which will be all we'll be doing this week. Yes. So hopefully we can get to a few more questions and get you some answers. Speaking of which, if this is your first time to our channel, hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you don't miss any of our upcoming videos. And we are getting all of our questions for Yawa from the comments. People put Yawa question and then type out their question. So it makes it really easy for us to find them. So if you have a question that you're dying to ask, put it in the comments below. All right, let's get into some questions. Amanda D. Yawa question. Mm -hmm. Hey, I have a question off topic of this video. I was hoping you could answer in your next Yawa. I have a German short hair pointer. Her name is Remy. She is going to be two years old in April and still is petrified to go into her crate. Mm. We have tried when she was younger to throw a treat in the cage and she would not go in that way either. She would just lay down outside of the crate. When she was left alone in the crate before, she would bend the wires and get out. This is after crying and drooling for two to three hours straight. We have also tried to leave her alone for a few hours without being in a crate and came home to destruction. Any advice or videos to point us in the right direction would be greatly appreciated. Love the videos and have been watching all of them. Okay, so there's a couple of things going on there. First of all, I want to say, I want to ask a question that I'm hoping for a response either in the comments or, you know, like even if you guys aren't getting your questions answered because there's way more questions than we can get to per week, um, definitely hit us up at patreon.com slash standing stone kennels where I'm answering questions daily. Usually try and take off Sundays, but uh, as uh, somebody commented today because I answered questions on sun- Sunday, I was going through the responses. I thought you took Sundays off. Well, sometimes I don't. So, um, anyhow, have, what do you do? Cause it sounds like if you leave her out, she destroys stuff, but she's totally worked up in the crate. So are you still crating her and she just hates it or mm, do you leave her in the backyard or what's, yeah. what's your solution right now? I guess. So that would be something that would help us with more information. And this is also like to touch on Patreon again, this is where we can kind of go back and forth and find out the true answer, um, to give you more specific feedback uh, that will help you with your specific situation a little bit more. Even um, speaking of specifics, uh, we have a tier on there that's called live and the live tier is really, really, really cool. We got to see the power of how cool that is very recently. One of the people that is in that tier set up their um, video consult for a training session. They were going to be doing their first collar conditioning session. And that's a big one. Um, every dog responds a little different and having the eyes, either cat or mine on that can read the situation and say, whoa, whoa, you need to do this, make this minor change, do this, and we can work through it. Don't end yet. We need to help this. It can prevent you from doing a session, sending us a video and then going, me going, oh crap, you shouldn't have done that for the whole session or, or whatever it may be. If we'd just done this, it would have been easier. And, and it's allowed it allowed because I was listening in on the session as it was happening, and mm-hmm. it allowed you to say, "Okay, now keep holding the button. That's okay. Just keep holding gentle the button. Reminders, gentle yep. reminders, as well as you gave really specific feedback on. We just made huge progress. Be done. Yeah. Don't get greedy with your training session, and let's end on a positive note where we made progress, and then we'll continue next time. So we started that training session. The dog had kind of an adverse reaction to the vibrate on the collar. And we were able to work through that in one session, ending the session with sending the dog from a a few feet away in the room to the dog bed and everything. And, you know, he kind of worked through it and mentally was 
had handled it then and everything went really well because timing was right, which is what I think a lot of you guys get to see in our videos. Our timing is right and all of these things are right because we are professionals and it makes it look a little easier than it might be when you try it at home. So, or your dog reacts just slightly differently and you're like, well, that's not what happened in the video. Now what I do, and you just end the session and send us the video. Well, if we were watching that session as it happened, we could say, okay, change what you're doing this way. Keep working on it. And that was, and this is the last little Patreon caveat, but I talked to another gentleman who's in the VIP tier and yes, talked to because in the VIP tier you set up that you can actually call us and do phone consults when it's easier for you than typing something out. Sometimes that's easier to process what's going on and ask questions back and forth and everything. So he said, sometimes it's very frustrating to get your responses on Patreon. I'm like, oh, here we go. I don't know what I did wrong, but this guy doesn't seem too happy. He said, because you'll send over the simplest little thing. And I'm like, this can't be right. And then I do it and it works perfectly. And it's like, ah, how does he know all of this stuff? So it's, and it's it was just, just those, one simple trick. He's like, yep. how can one simple trick? This is just being lazy. He's not giving me, yeah, how he's can not this really actually be beneficial time and answer my question. He's given me too easy of an answer. Mm-hmm. So all of that being said, Patreon is the most powerful tool that we have to offer you. If you are trying to train your dog yourself at home, but back, back to, to this, this question, question which yeah. it's interesting because we also have really good friends that we joke about their dog um, a little bit. Her name's Ellie, and she is very similar to what it sounds like your dog is going through. Yeah. Has had severe crate anxiety from the get-go when they got her. Mm-hmm. She could escape any of those wire crates, the clamshell crates. She was a Houdini. And she definitely, just breaks them. Yeah, she will break them. She broke a Roughland crate door. I mean, eventually pushing, 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 pushing enough, she finally cracked it. It took a very long time, but she did. And she was determined and persistent. So Mm -hmm. she um, also has some of that anxiety about being in a crate, would get really worked up, drooling and things like that. So there are a lot of dogs out there that have that type of behavior and from the get-go. And sometimes it's not just about what you may or may not have done as the right thing for development, but sometimes dogs are just wired differently and Mm -hmm. have, you know, genetically predisposed to being a little more worked up or a little less mentally stable, if you will. But unfortunately in this situation specifically, there's no quick fix. There's no magic that we can do, but what we can do is recommend, um, we would do basically the same things that we would recommend when you're teaching a puppy, but understand that it's going to be exponentially more difficult because you've spent two years fighting this. And I'm not saying that, you know, you did anything wrong. You just didn't have any other answer, but you've got two years of conditioning and it's going to be harder to uncondition or work through the problem. But things like all of their meals happen in the crate is a really good way to kind of build a better and better association association with the crate is a good word. Yep. So And if they don't want to go in the crate to eat and you don't have to close them in, just have the food bowl in the back of the crate and they have to go in there to eat. If they would prefer not to eat and they'd rather not go in their crate. Skipping one or two meals isn't going to be the end of the world. Yeah, A little bit of tough love to help them understand that, hey, this crate is absolutely not a bad place and it's not going to hurt you to be in there. They need to understand that and we need to be their advocates. So giving them a special treat or reward that they get while they're in their crate for crate time. 
having some ambient noise, the TV on so they don't feel so alone, finding the right crate for your dog. It sounds like the wire crate option that you've tried in the past, they are able to escape and get out of. Um, We've seen opposite extremes on that though. Sometimes dogs struggle with crate chaining and they do better in a wire crate or a more open environment. Sometimes, uh, and I would say on the majority, dogs do better in that more enclosed environment. They feel more comfortable. So, yeah. So a little more enclosed crate. Um, and if your dog is super, uh, escape artisty, if you will, mm-hmm. getting one that has a door that actually locks and clips into place. Uh, lucky duck has a crate that does that. Mm-hmm. The lucky um, kennel that, They're available on our website. They are. That they wouldn't be able to push out of um, or bend those wires. Uh, They actually have a five-star crash rating. So I don't think your dog could escape that one. No. And um, ultimately just being, understanding that your dog is going to have to take time to get comfortable being in that crate. And it's not going to be a 10, 15 minute quick fix. It's going to take a lot of time. Um, And making sure that your dog is as mentally prepared to go into the crate as possible by wearing them out, making Proper sure that they don't exercise. Yeah. Making sure that they don't have all this pent up energy from the day. And then they have to go be crated in an environment that they're not comfortable in yet. And then they've got all that extra energy that they're now applying to being uncomfortable being in the crate. If you can go do a lot of mental and physical stimulation and exercise prior mm-hmm. to going into the crate, um, they're going to be a little more worn out and tired and will hopefully then give in to being in that crate a little bit sooner. See, I think we see a higher level of slightly or not slightly very anxiety ridden dogs when they get dropped off for training. It's not always, but there are dogs that struggle. And the more that we can do right off the bat to treat them as if they're normal and help to mentally exhaust them either via some treadmill work, let's learn that, or let's learn some basics as far as obedience goes. Let's work for our meal. Yep. Let's work for our meals. All of these kind of things kind of, um, you know, override that anxiety that's there and allow them to settle in better. If we were to cater to that and say, oh, it's okay, buddy. And go in there and pet them and love on them and say, oh, well, we're going to, you don't want to eat today. So we're going to hand feed you everything. It just exaggerates and continues to build that this is the proper behavior that I should be exhibiting here at this time. So it's a great question. Let's uh, go on to the next one. Next question from Jennifer Dego, which I may have pronounced that wrong. Yawa question. You don't screw very many of them up. A lot of people Apparently are like, I don't, I'm actually no, pretty like, good at oh, this. Nice job. You got my name right. Well, we'll see if I got this one right. I'm at a complete don't loss me an opportunity. with my puppies potty training. We have a nine-week-old German wire hair pointer, mm-hmm. and we take him out every three to four hours to potty religiously. Okay. He will go out and pee once or twice, and we bring him back inside to play, and he pees two to three more times inside after being outside for 15 to 20 minutes, completely eliminating his bladder. We just don't know what to do anymore. Any suggestions would be a great help. Okay. So I want to start this one off with a very similar caveat, and- to the last one is that it said nine weeks, right? Yes. So They're we're at a talking complete about loss with their puppies potty training. We have a nine week old German wire hair pointer. So let's even say, cause I don't have when they picked up the puppy, the average puppy goes home at eight weeks old. So we're talking about one week of attempted a potty training. Now say they got the puppy at seven weeks old. 
talking about potentially two weeks at most of potty training. But most of the time that puppy that's seven weeks old coming home isn't ready to really start crate training and potty training super effectively um, until they kind of hit that eight week mark. And that's kind of when the learning and openness to learning and maturity to learn and bladder development starts to kick in. So again, I'm Sorry, we do not have a quick fix. Um, what I can say, though, is it sounds like you're doing a lot of things right. Yes. Um, you may need more frequent letouts, especially in the beginning, to get success. If you're saying every three to four hours, it sounds like. Yeah, and that's um, that's definitely what I was going to touch on, but continue. What do we got for water intake? Did it say it didn't mention okay. that, but they mentioned that they are outside for 15 to 20 minutes. Uh-huh. They come inside and he pees two to three more times after being outside that amount of time. And they let him out every three to four hours to potty. I don't know about crate training, crate time in between there. If he's literally just out free run in the house for three to four hours at nine weeks old, I don't mm-hmm. know all the details. Okay. I would like more details. With that amount of urination, it sounds like that there could be the potential of excessive access to water. Um, on average, a dog is going to need on a minimum, if they're eating a dry dog food, if they're eating a raw diet, they're getting more water or moisture from the food itself. But a dry dog food takes a little bit more water, uh, water to process. But you need about two ounces, give or take, of water per pound per day for proper hydration. Now that can all be at one time. It has to be spread out throughout the day, but a nine week old puppy probably weighs 12 to 15 pounds, give or take. And so that's what? 24 to 30 ounces of water. Yeah. Uh, Two cups in the morning spread out between waking up and lunchtime. And then two cups in the afternoon would be that minimum level for proper hydration. So I would guess that if you look at, if you just measure out, we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about holding water back or anything like that. Just measure out and say, okay, well, every time they get access to water, they're drinking one to two cups of water and they do that five to six times a day. So we're essentially getting six times the amount of water that we need to be properly hydrated. Now, if anybody has ever tried to just hydrate themselves the way you're supposed to with that eight glasses of water, or if you're drinking one ounce per pound of body weight, which is what humans are supposed to do. So uh, for me, that's 165 ounces of water, which is one and a half gallons. How many ounces are in a gallon? 120, 64 in a- 128. Yeah, 128, so plus another 40, which is not quite, yeah, it'd be a third. So one and a third gallons of water is a ton. I don't remember the last time. I drink a fair amount of water, but I don't remember the last time that I've drank almost one and a half gallons of water in a day. But if you do, you got to pee a lot. Yeah, and so your puppy just might be overhydrated as well as combining that with a puppy's bladder control. I mm-hmm. mean, they're still little babies learning bladder control. It's going to take time. Um, a couple months isn't unexpected for a dog to gain full, a puppy to gain full or better, at least bladder control, um, to have little to no accidents. And the other thing is when we're raising and developing a puppy, they don't get three to four hours out Mm-mm. all at once that they're not also crated without multiple potty breaks. If they, if I'm having a dog out, a puppy out all afternoon for three hours, they're going out every 30 minutes. Yeah, maybe. 
If not more often. Because when they're in a crate, holding it three to four hours is a little bit easier, especially if it's the proper size crate, Mm -hmm. because puppies want to be clean in their space. Well, when they've got this entire house to roam around in and plenty of space to play and eat and potty, they will find a place that they think is fine to potty in. So limiting the amount of time that they have out and then giving them more opportunities to go out in that allotted amount of time would also be very beneficial. Absolutely. And I think that uh, the last thing we can say is just hang in there. It sounds like you're headed in the right direction. A few minor tweaks could help here, but ultimately uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. One last thing, and I think this is a common mistake that people make mm-hmm. is, so the puppy's been out for 15 to 20 minutes. Well, yeah. usually puppies, when they go out and they have to pee, they pee within the first couple of minutes, 60 seconds of being outside. They're like, most oh, of our outside, puppies hit the pee. grass and pee. Yeah. So then they pee and then you guys are playing and having a good time outside for the next 20 minutes. Well, if you don't get another pee out of them right before you go inside, your 30 minute timer really probably should have started after they finished emptying their bladder. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, you know, that otherwise they're holding it for almost another hour before they're needing to go out. And right now they have a very underdeveloped puppy sized bladder with very little bladder control. Absolutely. So good question and hope we were able to help. All right. We have another one in there. We've we got time for do. another one, I think. I think we have time for one last question. And this is a little bit of a short one, but a good one from Anna Yar1234. Nice. Yawa question. How often should I use the easy lead to train versus just a regular walk? Or should it be easy lead at all times until they learn how to heal? And this is a good question that gets asked similarly um, across a lot of our different platforms, whether Mm -hmm. it's on Instagram or Facebook or an email or Patreon. So I think probably one of the, if you don't already know, we have a product that we developed called the easy lead. And the way that we utilize that is um, a makeshift halter style lead. So it gives you control and two pressure points over the dog's head. And then that same lead goes from the makeshift halter to back to a standard slip lead. And then you can actually configure it again to be just a four and a half foot or six foot. If you get, depending on which option you get standard leash to walk a dog around. So it's very versatile. It's a really quality made product. And I think a lot of people, if you have an easy lead, you're listening to do this now, throw a comment down there below. Just represent uh, all of the easy happy lead easy people. lead owners out there. Yep. So it is a product that we sell on our website. And um, I think that the number one mistake that people make is it works really, really fast. You put that head halter configuration up and the dog pretty much instantly starts walking better. But then people use that essentially as a crutch. It's like, oh, well, this is way better than it was. And then they use it more as a pulling management system than the training tool that we designed it to be. be. Mm -hmm. And it does. It makes things way better when you're used to a dog dragging you down the sidewalk and you can hardly, you know, hold on to the end of that leash to then a dog that you can literally manage with one finger that they're not pulling away from you. You go, wow, we're fixed done. You know, now my dog heals. Well, they're truly not actually healing. They just know that that small amount of pressure that they're withstanding now is all that they want to withstand. And they're still actually pulling against that. They're not in a heel position. The lead isn't loose. Um, and they eventually can toughen and harden themselves to that amount of pressure. And the pressure, the pulling can 
increase, increase again. again. Yep. So it essentially again becomes they're looking for the quick fix or they find the quick fix and then they stick with it um, where it's meant to be a let's utilize this to develop a non-pulling behavior and then transition to the slip lead where it's going to require a little bit more handling, but then we can teach them you know, gradually to stop pulling altogether. We've kind of developed this behavior of let's not pull quite so much. And then once we move to the slip lead, we can overlay e-collar as a form of correction again as well. And all of those things combined, then you can get a dog that will heal completely loose lead or off lead if you're in a safe enough environment to do so with time, training, and reps. And it doesn't happen overnight. The pulling stops almost instantly, but to get a dog that truly understands heel and can walk loosely by your side in a lot of distracting environments takes multiple sessions. With a lot of conditioning. And we have a lot of videos. A lot of I, videos. I wouldn't say a ton of videos. I mean, no, it's quite a, a ton is more than a lot. So I would say we're more at a lot right now. Um, <laughs> under our healing playlist. And one of the most recent videos is Ethan's 10 yard drill that he did with legend. Mm -hmm. And that is where we're talking about, yes, you can go for walks with the easy lead, but you also need to put the time into training with the easy lead and making the progress. And the more black and white you can be and the more consistent you can be with the use of the lead and the expectation of the walking at your side, um, behavior, which is healing, the faster your dog's going to understand how to continuously and consistently exhibit that behavior. Otherwise they're thinking, well, I only have to heal sometimes and then I can pull and it gets confusing for them. If you're going for a walk where you just want them to be able to go to the bathroom, you know, we're not asking them to heal. That's a different story. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that that's how their dogs get an opportunity to go to the bathroom as they go for a walk. Well, it's really hard for a dog to go to the bathroom in a heel position. Correct. So you need to be able to give them that flexibility of, yes, now go potty and you don't have to be in a heel position. Now, the last little thing that I can touch on with this specifically is that, and it's a common mistake that I think people make is they go, well, we need to go for a walk so the dog can get some exercise. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you are walking them on leash, the dog is not getting any exercise. It is not so, it's so minimal. It's, it's there. There's a little bit of exercise there, but you would be better off utilizing that time that you spend on a walk, doing a healing training session that can be done in your driveway or in a short amount of distance until that, you know, that level of distraction of being outside is no longer a distraction. Then you can incorporate longer walks and more distractions into that. But the whole point of that 10 yard drill is to show how much we could accomplish in a very short distance. So it didn't involve walking one mile or two miles or three miles or whatever, but he got exponentially better and the lines on the ground. So go watch this video, but the lines on the ground is more to help us to To be be, honest with ourselves, Yep, to be honest. We say we stopped here. Did he stop? Nope. He crossed the line. So that means that he took more steps than he needed to. Let's go ahead and try it again. Because he wasn't focused enough and wasn't paying attention to where he really needed to be. So it's a really good option for you. And the last thing that I want to talk about the easy lead, because we do get this question a lot is Mm -hmm. when can I start healing with the easy lead? Because we have the luxury of not living in town. So we don't necessarily take our dogs for healing walks or need to go on healing walks until they're a little bit older. And we're starting some more of that advanced training. We get to go out, they get to run around in the fenced in backyard, go potty that way. And then we live in the country. So we don't go for walks. 
but a lot of people do need to go for walks or they have to have their puppy on lead when they're in the backyard because they don't have a fenced in area and they're in town and they need to go to the bathroom, but they are like, well, can I take the puppy for a walk? Can I use the easy lead? Yeah. And I always tell people, well, we want to make sure your puppy's in exhibiting a bold, confident, and independent search before we put too much emphasis on healing, especially if we're developing a hunting dog. Um, but if you're not developing a hunting dog, sure, you can start asking and expecting some healing behavior out of a younger dog, but mentally they're not going to be as ready and as focused for that as well as we don't really recommend using the easy lead up over their muzzle until they're closer to that five month old mark. Absolutely. So, so that is, uh, it was a great question. Yes. And that is all the time that we have for this week. Thank you for everybody that put questions in the YouTube comments. If we didn't get to your question, sorry. Um, but we are again, answering questions on the regular at patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. And we will, if you want answers now, that'd be where I would go. If not, we will try and get to your questions next week. I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat, the dog trainer. And we will. S- and I'm, I, I want to do the thing. Oh, oh Okay. And I'm out of tea. (laughs) So we'll see you in the next video. 